All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the second letter to the Corinthians. In this session, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. And in its immediate context, this really is the conclusion to Paul's description of he and his team's ministry that we saw at the end of chapter 5 that they are Christ's ambassadors, and through them, God is making his appeal, calling to people, be reconciled to God. So here, in chapter 6, 1 through 10, Paul states that working together with God, and that's how he begins this section, and so he's really flowing out of this idea that God has given him and his team the ministry of reconciliation, and so they work with him to achieve that, and what he's going to do here is he's going to describe, well, what does that look like? How do they carry out this ministry? Now, to set this in the bigger flow of the entire letter of 2 Corinthians thus far, this message really started all the way back in chapter 2. And if you recall, back there in chapter 2, Paul was describing his travel plans and how his travel plans changed and how he wanted to go find Titus because he was worried about the Corinthians. And he broke off that narrative about searching for Titus so that he could begin to describe his ministry and commend the manner of his ministry to the Corinthians. And so that's the section we've been in since Paul broke off that narrative. And what's going to follow, what's going to follow chapter 6, 1 through 10, the two paragraphs immediately after this, well, Paul will directly appeal to the Corinthians to open their heart to him, and then he'll resume that story of what happened when he went looking for Titus. But his concern in chapter 3 through really the present section of the letter has been, well, why does his ministry look the way it does? Why does it look so lowly and so shameful? Why does he suffer so much? And that's been the heart of what Paul has been dealing with now for the last handful of chapters. And we saw at the beginning of chapter 4, chapter 4 verses 1 through 2, where Paul actually says he commends himself to everyone's conscience. And there, just like he does here, when he says that, he lists off all the things he endures to embody the gospel. So as Paul sees it, his sufferings and the shameful way he's been treated in his ministry is actually what commends his ministry rather than discredits his ministry. And what we need to remember in the backstory to the letter is that Paul and his team's credibility has been questioned in Corinth because of the lowliness of his ministry, the inglorious way his ministry appears, um, that, that their whole approach to ministry flies in the face of the values of honor and upward mobility that were so prevalent and popular in Corinth. Not only that, there was this group of people, recall, that had come into the church and they'd come in from the outside with letters of recommendation and they're challenging the way Paul goes about ministry and they're challenging his credibility. If he were really an apostle and if he really were a servant of a king, would he look like that? And so all of that is in the backstory and that's why Paul really has had to spend so much time explaining his ministry and commending the nature of his ministry to them. And Paul is resolute about this. Uh, What Paul says is that true ministry embodies the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he won't ever change that. In fact, in the previous paragraph at the end of chapter 5, what Paul said is, is that he said, for the love of Christ controls us. 
having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, catch this, so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. That's what, when Paul's describing his mystery, that's what he says is like, we're, we're just carrying out this, this, the work of Jesus and not living for ourselves, but we're actually living for him who died and rose again. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 11, Paul put it this way. He says, For we who live are constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. That's the manner of Paul and his team's ministry. This for them is what it means to have become the righteousness of God in Christ. This is the approach to ministry that Paul commends to the Corinthians. And so here in chapter 6, 1 through 10, as Paul winds down the commendation of the manner of his ministry, here's what Paul writes. He says in chapter 6, verse 1, and working together with him. So flowing out of this statement about becoming the righteousness of God in Christ, he says, and working together with him. We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And it's important to remember what we said in the last recording, that these verses, chapter 6, 1 and 2, the first two verses here of this chapter, on one hand, they're the conclusion, really, to the applied conclusion to 5, 11 through 21, about being given the ministry of reconciliation and about embodying the very righteousness of God. And so here, the word urge, when he says, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, that word urge is the same word as the word translated making an appeal in 520. And so the the two ideas are really connected, and the two sections are connected way more than the chapter break lets on. And in 520, God's appeal through Paul and his team is to be reconciled to God. It's a general description of their ministry with a slight glance towards the Corinthians. But here, he is uh, focused directly on the Corinthians, and he calls them in particular not to receive the grace of God in vain. God's the one who gave Paul and his team the ministry of reconciliation. God's the one who makes his appeal through them to be reconciled to God. And so don't reject this grace from God that he's, he's called you to through Paul and his team. And then Paul grounds everything he has said in 5.11 up to this point about the ministry of reconciliation as embodying God's work in Christ. He grounds all of that in a passage from Isaiah here in 6.2. He says, for, so don't receive the grace of God in vain, for, explaining this, for he says, that is God says, at a favorable time I listened to you. On a day of salvation I helped you. And then Paul reflects on this this quote from the book of Isaiah. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so this quote here in 6.2 comes from Isaiah 49, verse 8. And Isaiah 49 is a section of the book of Isaiah about the work of the servant of the Lord. And that work entails restoring not only Israel to God, but also the Gentiles. And these specific words that are quoted here, at a favorable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you, well, the you in those phrases is specifically 
addressing the servant. He's the one being spoken to. And the servant is the Messiah, the servant of the Lord. And what this sentence is saying is that God listened to the servant and delivered him. And that's how now he has brought salvation to Israel, his people, and to the Gentiles as well. And so Jesus, since he is the servant and is the one who has fulfilled these words, Paul can now confidently say, today's the day. Now is a favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. We're living in the day of salvation after the servant spoken of in Isaiah has achieved his work, after God has delivered him by virtue of resurrection and exaltation and enthronement. And so now this is the day of salvation. And so Paul and his team are working with God in carrying out this ministry of reconciliation that was affected by Jesus the Messiah, the servant in Isaiah's work. And that that work of carrying out this ministry of reconciliation includes calling them, the Corinthians, and really all people, to loyalty to King Jesus. And so that's the point here in verse 2. And so Paul's working with God in carrying out the work of the servant and embodying the righteousness of God. And so for the Corinthians, please don't miss the message. This is Paul's heart to them. Uh, Don't reject the message. Don't reject the, the grace of God that has been brought to you through the servant's work. Then what Paul does in verses three and following is he continues by describing how he and his ministry team carry out their work. And he does so by listing off the kinds of things that they endure in their service to Christ, in embodying his righteousness and carrying out his work. And so he says in verse 3, giving no reason for taking offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God. And these words here in verses 3 and 4 really summarize what Paul's objective has been in the last several paragraphs of the letter. We mentioned when we were talking about the context, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we don't lose heart. But we've renounced the hidden things because of shame, not walking in trickery or distorting the word of God. But by open proclamation of the truth, we commend ourselves to every person's conscience in the sight of God. And that's been Paul's objective. Really, since then in chapter 4, up till now, he wants to give an open account of his ministry. He wants to explain why it looks the way it does. And what he says in short is, it looks the way it does because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he does all of this in order to commend his ministry to the people there in Corinth, to the church who who have been through a lot and many of whom have now come back to him, but they need to really grasp the heart of his ministry. And so Paul says here that he, he gives no reason for taking an offense in anything. That's been his goal. And that idea of taking offense really has to do with taking a misstep so as to create an occasion for a an offense. And Paul's like, we've worked hard not to do that because we don't want this ministry that we've been given, this ministry of reconciliation to be discredited. But verse four, in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. That's who they are. Paul views himself and his team. We're servants of God and we commend ourselves to you in the way we conduct ourselves and go about our ministry. Well, how's that then? How do they commend themselves as servants of God? 
And what Paul is going to say and what follows is we do that by the things we endure. That's how we commend ourselves as the servants of God. Look what he says. Uh, In everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. And then the next phrase is, in much endurance. In much endurance. That's how Paul says he commends himself and his team commends themselves as God's servants. And then what he's going to do is he's going to list off a whole bunch of things that fit into that general category of much endurance. And so in much endurance is the big broad category and what follows are the specifics. And so Paul lists off some of the things that they've endured in their service to God. And so he says, in afflictions, in hardships, in difficulties, three words that all just generally describe kind of the the trials and the sufferings and the, the difficult way ministry has been for them. And then he gets specific in verse 5. He says, in beatings, in imprisonments, in mob attacks, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, some very specific things that have made life hard and made their ministry difficult and some of the specific kinds of afflictions that they've undergone. In beatings, and we we know about some of these, he's going to actually list off a few more details later in this very letter in chapter 11. We'll hear about um, being whipped with the 39 lashes from the Jews. We know in the book of Acts that he was beaten with rods uh, there in Philippi. And so there's just been a beatings, imprisonments in Philippi and other places where he's been put into jail for short term or long term in mob attacks where there were riots or whole mobs came and seized him in labors, like just pouring himself out in toil and uh, lots of hard work and sleeplessness and hunger. Some of the specific things that Paul has endured in ministry. Then in verse 6, as the list continues, it turns to some of the virtues that really shape how he endures. Like here are here's the manner and the means of their ministry that enables them to endure the way they do and carry it out the way they do. And so he says, in purity, that is in cleanness of motive and action, in knowledge, a knowledge of the scriptures, and knowledge of God, in patience, where it just takes a lot to make you angry is the idea of patience, right? Like you don't get angered easily. And so in patience, in kindness, just trying to be kind to people, even people who aren't kind to him. In the Holy Spirit, that is by the power of the Spirit, with the help of the Spirit, enabled by the Spirit. In genuine love, like they've carried out their ministry with genuine, authentic love. In the word of truth and in the power of God, here's how we've carried out our ministry. So this describes sort of the manner and the means of their ministry. Then Paul goes on and says, uh, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, like the tools of our ministry, the weapons of our ministry were weapons of righteousness, not self-serving, not the world's weapons and tools, but the weapons of righteousness, the kind of thing that's in keep with a right relationship to God and a right relationship to people. And so weapons of righteousness by glory, that is uh, by you know, good honor and good reputation and by uh, people standing up for him, glory, and by dishonor and being treated shamefully and being disrespected, by evil report 
and by good report, that is by people saying good things about his ministry and people saying bad things about his ministry. Like all of this stuff has just been part of how he's gone about his ministry. So by evil report and slanderous report and by good report and people standing up for him, regarded as deceivers and yet true. That is, even though some people um, don't like what he preaches and regard him as a, a deceiver, yet he's honest and he's truthful, and he's genuine, uh, as unknown, and yet well-known. Like, he's not publicly recognized, he's not highly regarded by the world system and the world at large, and yet he's well-known to his churches, and certainly he's well-known to God and to Christ, uh, as dying, and yet behold, we're alive. And Paul's talked about that in chapter 4, how uh, constantly caring about the dying of Jesus in their body so that the resurrection life of Jesus may be poured out through them. And so suffering and even reports of his death and being stoned early on in his ministry with rocks and uh, being taken for dead. And yet, lo and behold, he's alive. And so dying and yet behold, we live as punished and yet not put to death. And so again, this is part of what has just shaped his ministry, being beaten and being whipped and being put in jail and all sorts of things as punishment, and yet not being executed uh, as sorrowful. Like, man, look at his ministry and how hard that must be and how difficult that is as sorrowful. And yet we're always rejoicing because of Christ and what he's given us as poor, like by the world's standards, they just don't have much. That's literally what the word poor means. And yet making many rich, meaning rich in Christ and rich in hope and rich in the things of God. And then really the next phrase kind of is almost parallel to that one as having nothing and yet possessing everything. Like because we have God and we have Christ and we have the hope of resurrection life with Jesus, right? We, we may have nothing by the world's standards and yet we possess all things. And so by means of this really multifaceted list, Paul says this is how we commend ourselves as servants of God. Uh, this is how we embody the righteousness of God and carry it to the world around us. Um, these things, Paul is saying, don't undercut the credibility uh, of our ministry or us as ministers of the new covenant and ministers of reconciliation. No, they're actually the very way that we work with God and carry out our ministry of reconciliation. And it's in this way, with this list and this description, that Paul really wraps up the defense of or the explanation and commendation of his ministry. Because he wants them to know that these things aren't peripheral and they're not, uh, they're not secondary. They're actually central. And when you put the whole section in chapters 4, 5, and 6 together, what we see is, is, for Paul, this is the very nature of what it means to embody the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is what it means to carry about um, the, the glory of the gospel and the glory of Christ in jars of clay. It looks like this. And so this section should really cause us to slow down and to ponder and to reflect and to ask, what does it look like for me to carry out ministry after that pattern of Jesus, of, of his death and resurrection? It should cause us to ask, what standards do we evaluate ministry or ministers and commend them by? 
And certainly Paul's ministry as an apostle, right, is a bit unique. But it does seem to me that Christ-centered ministry ought to be cross-shaped ministry. And that's really been at the heart of what Paul has been saying since chapter 4. Christ-centered ministry ought to be cross-shaped ministry. And so I'm compelled, and hopefully you're compelled, as we look at Paul, to really pray and pray asking God, what does it look like today where I live to embody the gospel? Not just to talk about it, not just to believe it, but to embody it like Paul did. And the details may not look the same, the specifics may look different, but if we're going to Uh, If we're going to embody the death and resurrection of Jesus, what does that look like where we live right here, right now, in whatever culture you find yourself in? What would it look like to have a ministry where Paul says, this is what commends us as servants of God, where we don't live for ourselves, but we live for him who died and rose again. All right, thanks for tuning into this session on the listener's commentary on the New Testament. As always, I want to express a heartfelt thank you to those of you who make this ministry possible and who, through your generous support, God is bearing good fruit all around the world. So thanks a ton for your support. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can do so by going to the link down in the notes below or just going over to listenerscommentary.com, listenerscommentary.com, click in the Give button, take you to a page where you can put in a dollar amount. You can click a little box that says Make This Monthly. All monthly donors get access to the Study Hub, or you can just uh, support the ministry right there through the Study Hub page, signing up for the Study Hub. So thanks a ton for your support. Uh, May God bless you for it.